0: Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
2: Big thanks to our sponsor, 16 Degrees Coaching. Do you feel stuck in your current job? Do you wish you had a career you loved? James from 16 Degrees Coaching specializes in working with people like you. He'll help you find clarity in what you want to do next, even when you have no idea yourself, and confidence to move forwards. To see the success James has had in helping others with their careers and to find out what he can do for you visit his website 16degreescoaching.co.uk to book a free consultation or follow the link on ours Hello and welcome to the Backstory podcast I'm Claire, and this is episode 5 of season 1. On the surface, this is a story about Isabella, who received a diagnosis of autism as an adult. But actually, we think it's about more than that. It's about whether there's a tipping point between what we might call a character trait and what we class as a disorder or condition. Susie went to meet Isabella and her family to find out more. There was
1: an incident I remember my father getting quite annoyed and saying you know you're not normal you know there's something you know you're not normal and I mean he sort of had a point but I was on the promenade and um I was sort of flashing my skirt around and sort of flashing my knickers <laughs> And I remember thinking I was doing it out of devilment, really, because, you know, he obviously found, found me irritating at that point and thought that was totally inappropriate. And yeah, I suppose it was because I was in my 20s, but it
3: still makes me laugh. Isabella and I had a good long chat on the phone before we met. She's very articulate, very polite and friendly and also quite precise in her manner. It's a style that I get and I really warmed to her. We agreed that I'd go to her house to do the interview but this is no small thing. Having people in her house can be quite hard for Isabella. I asked whether there were things that I could do to make it easier and I was told that taking my shoes off and not making a mess would be helpful. Neat and tidy are my middle names so I felt I was on safe ground here. In fact, Isabella's preferences were so similar to my own that I found myself wondering whether there was really a condition here. She sounded too much like me. As soon as I pulled up, I could see that Isabella was apprehensive. She was very welcoming and polite, but she kind of avoided eye contact and she seemed on edge. It seemed that perhaps there was a condition here, something more than my own preference for things being just so. I took my shoes off and went inside. Isabella lives with her husband Edward and her two children Catherine and Harry from a previous marriage. Catherine was out at college but you'll be hearing not just from Isabella but from Edward and from Harry. Harry has a diagnosis of autism, and he's home educated. I was diagnosed when I was I think I was about ten. So, a house where half the occupants have autism, and half are neurotypical—a phrase I learnt from Edward. Their home is full of evidence of interesting pastimes: sewing, reading, model making. Edward and Isabella enjoy reenactment. Getting together with other people to dress up and reenact an historical event or period in time. I started by asking Isabella what she was like as a little girl.
1: I think I worried a lot about a lot of things. Um, and I always felt that the people in the family liked me least of all. I was very good at occupying myself and I've always been.
3: Very adventurous. Isabella had good friends at school. There were some problems with other girls, but it didn't seem that there was anything significant. She didn't work hard, especially when she wasn't interested in something, and her parents didn't push her. Knowing what she knows now, I wondered whether her autism had affected her performance at school.
1: Um... Up until fairly recently, it was considered
3: that it only affected
1: boys. Um, Girls are far better at, in inverted commas, behaving normally. So the condition tends
3: to get missed. So, although not traumatic, the school years passed by fairly unsuccessfully, without Isabella really achieving her potential. As she moved into adulthood, her relationships didn't run smoothly
1: absolute disaster one disaster to another
3: um
1: men would initially be attracted to me um because I was different i think i mean the phrase oh i've never met anyone like you before that was a novelty to begin with um they would be attracted to me i think I, i'm very bouncy and enthusiastic i've got quite a, a wicked naughty sort of sense of humor
3: isabella married early at just 20 he was in the forces and stationed abroad and she was keen to escape her home life. But her focus was on the wedding and all the accompanying paraphernalia, not on the marriage that would follow.
1: Became completely fixated on getting married. Totally and utterly obsessed with the whole affair. Just the, the dress and the bridesmaids, the flowers, everything. You know, just so, so, so excited to be getting married. Far more excited to be getting married than actually
3: being married. She knew almost from before it happened that the marriage wasn't a good idea. On the
1: wedding night, I remember feeling this really strange feeling of, oh my word, what have I done?
3: Her first marriage ended and Isabella returned to England. She met her second husband. This relationship should have worked. Except I i was
1: reaching my late 20s, I was approaching my 30th birthday and I had become broody. And I'd never been interested in having children. And I I became broody and I wanted children and I just did not get pregnant.
3: And so, in the absence of a longed-for pregnancy, her second marriage ended. Isabella met her third husband, a man she describes as deeply destructive, a compulsive liar, terrible with money. But, crucially, she got pregnant and had their first child, then their second. She hoped he would change, but, no surprises, he didn't, and Isabella's third marriage broke down. During this period, Isabella had met Edward, who was also in another relationship, and they became friendly. Edward was drawn to Isabella's sparky character.
0: My first impressions was this enthusiastic bubbly, knowledgeable, bright, shiny person.
3: Was there anything about her behaviour or about her demeanour that, that made you wonder whether there was a difference there?
0: I've always been attracted to difference. Um, people who were bright, people who were prepared to do different things, people who were somehow shinier. And she fulfilled that.
3: (laughs) So, spoiler alert, this one was a keeper. Edward loved Isabella's character, her idiosyncrasies. But she was wondering whether those idiosyncrasies were something more, whether she might be autistic. But Edward felt that she was too talkative, too outgoing... We had a discussion
1: in a cafe and we were talking about somebody on the spectrum or something and I, I said, you know, it sounds like me, doesn't it? And, and that's when he actually said to me, oh no, you're far too communicative and, and, and whatever.
3: Edward's background was in special educational needs and he'd worked in a school for children with autism. But even with all this experience, it still didn't appear plausible to him that Isabella might be autistic. She just didn't fit the pattern.
0: Gradually... It's the anxiety that I'd always known in Isabella, I assumed would pass when she was happy, when she was... Not Not that I was the, the knight in the shining armour, but, but as we developed a, a stable and a happy home, that the anxieties would stop. And they didn't. And I think we both realised that the anxieties were much more deep-seated and much more to do with Isabella's place in the world rather than her place within a relationship. But
1: I was experiencing very high anxiety and, and feeling very down, and I must have just got on the computer and done a little bit of research, and I just remember reading something. It said, if this is making sense, then you chances are you are on the spectrum.
0: Um, my initial reaction was, don't think that's true. But the more we looked at it, the more we realised that, actually, (laughs) it made sense. And it made sense of the anxieties, the the worries, the fears, the difficulties that Isabella had had all through her life and was still feeling.
3: I've spoken before about what I think a diagnosis means. I know for some people it can be negative and feel like a label but I think it can also mean a validation of how you feel, a reassurance that it's not your imagination, that something really is going on and you're not the only one. It gives you an explanation, a framework for understanding and a hope that there might be help or treatment available. But Isabella's
0: diagnosis affected Edward too. It it affected me in a strange way. I felt it was good but I felt can I rise to the challenge. That sounds awful, but it with working for so long with children with autism, to realise that my wife had this this cluster of of anxieties, I initially thought it, I think, and then I, I just talked to myself very firmly and said, Look, you know, you've you've been an apostle for this different way of thinking for so long. Just carry it through.
3: Getting a diagnosis helped Isabella and Edward to begin to make sense of how she'd always felt.
0: It, it gives you framework for not necessarily... I, there is no such thing as a cure, thank God, but it actually working within those sets of anxieties and troubles and worries that anyone with autism uh, of any description will find living in a world designed by neurotypicals for neurotypicals
3: neurotypicals useful phrase that the diagnosis also brought a sense of fellowship with other people with autism
0: the knowledge that there are other people out there who share the the worries and the the anxieties and the the joys with with them we belong to this this group of of reenactors a lot of whom are undiagnosed people with autism they've got spiky interests they can function perfectly well as an 18th century 17th century 16th century person but find it a bit more difficult to react to the world as it is now
3: I asked Isabella to tell me about her diagnosis.
1: It was PDD-NOS, Pervasive Developmental Disorder, not otherwise specified. Basically, it's Asperger's for girls.
3: Heads up, we're not going to get bogged down with the terms here. The accepted umbrella term seems to be Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. But terms such as Asperger's and autism seem to be used interchangeably by Isabella. And to be honest, I'm just going to take my lead from her. When you received your diagnosis, you said that that, that was a real eye-opener. Can you tell me how how that changed things for you, receiving the diagnosis?
1: It was huge relief because sometimes I felt like I was going mad. Um, I would get into a negative thought cycle with with thoughts that would just go round and round and round in my head just obsessive thoughts that I, I I just could not get rid of them and having the just knowing that my my brain processes things differently was such a relief I felt I didn't feel any longer I was going crazy I suddenly had a, a reason for feeling the way that I do the knowledge of autism in girls was limited and what was supposed What was thought of was that people on the spectrum aren't terribly communicative, um, because obviously you do get non-verbal autistic people anyway, um, and that they're not terribly imaginative or creative, they can't empathise, they can't get in anybody else's shoes, blah, 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 you know, there's lots and lots of myths about autism.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: The autistic spectrum diagnostic tool is not very girl friendly so girls tend to um, come under the radar. Having read what I've read now um, there is no doubt in my mind that you know I I am considered to be Asperger's.
3: How do you think girls and women with autism hide it?
1: I think we're a little bit better at Um, pretending so we will act out a way to be whereas I think men socially they don't bother quite so much they don't think it's quite such a thing to worry about.
0: The theory is that because social interaction is more important to (laughs) the female gender then girls learn at a very early age to play the game better than boys do. In all the years I've had teaching, now I can recognise there were girls for whom I would, would now question whether they were NT or autistic spectrum.
3: I wanted to know more about Isabella's preference for rules.
1: Either it matters or it doesn't. You know, you you can't say, oh, sometimes it matters, but other times it doesn't matter. That, to me, is so utterly
3: confusing. Do you know, you may relate to this or not, but I think Isabella gives a really good account of what the minutiae of daily life feels like. You know, you can see I'm getting really annoyed about this. This may not sound massively significant. Lots of us like rules and consistency. But think about your own job or your personal life, your relationships. The world isn't black and white. Rules aren't applied consistently. They're bent, they're ignored, judgment is applied. Having the flexibility to understand this and to tolerate it, to roll with it, is a great asset. And it's an asset that Isabella doesn't have. There are other ways in which Isabella is affected by her condition. The bit that's supposed to happen in between
1: you having the thought... And then you're sending the thought to the words that come out of your mouth. And if you know that this is going to upset or offend somebody, I don't seem to have that sort of filter. So somebody turning up unexpectedly on my doorstep, that's a bit of an um, Aspie nightmare for me because, oh my gosh, I am clean the loo. Oh, Lord. Oh, they're going to come in. Oh, there's bits all over the kitchen floor. Oh, I haven't cleaned the worktop. Oh, oh gosh. Um, oh, uh, You know, and um, Edward will say to me, they've come to see you. They don't really care what your house looks like. And I don't believe that for one second. If I go around somebody's house, I'm looking around thinking, "Hmm, OK, you haven't, you haven't decobwebbed recently, have you? Doesn't mean I like that person any less at all. But I notice details like that. And Because I notice details like that. I assume everybody else notices details like that. And Edward is saying, no, they don't. They don't. And I'm thinking, yes, they do.
3: (laughs) Do you know what? I'm kind of with Isabella on this one. I think they do. I know I do.
0: Isabella will not necessarily know what people are thinking. Not just the way you and I might not know what people are thinking, but she will put thoughts into their heads that they would not necessarily have had. When my
1: children were in primary school, if a mum sort of looked at me a bit unpleasantly or if I said hello to them and they seemed to not want to speak to me, I would go home and I would obsess over it. I would wonder what I had done wrong, what had I done to upset this person. I would talk to Edward and he would say they're probably just in a hurry. They've perhaps had a a row with their husband or maybe they've had a big bill. It's not you. It's not you. It is not you. I would automatically think it must be me. If a car horn goes, it's me. If someone shouts, it's me, you know. And I always respond that way. And I've even asked people, I've even said to people straight out, have I done something to upset you? And they've been like, no, not at all, not at all. And it's in my head.
3: It is in my head. I'm really interested in in how it ties in with obsessive thoughts Mm. and anxiety. And I think what I'm struggling to, or what I'm trying to understand, I'm I'm really trying to understand how it feels for you.
1: I I think I've always got this thing that people don't like me. Um, We'll we'll be invited to to some friends, and I will be surprised that they want us to go. And my husband will say, you know, People do like, people like you. You know, you're lovely. People like us. But I'm always slightly
3: surprised people do like me. As well as her anxieties, Isabella finds some parts of everyday life deeply irritating. Right. Um, litter. Um, I wouldn't, I would stop
1: everybody dropping litter. I would have people abide by traffic laws. Um, I think... People being antisocial in a public place, swearing and just being generally obnoxious, I find that so offensive. You own a dog, you feed your dog, your dog makes a mess, it's your responsibility. Dog
3: dirt. We can all understand that, see what I mean? But for Isabella, it's a real problem. You put
1: it in a bag and chuck it in the hedge, it's then going to not rot down. And, you know, I just don't understand so what might help? Little things. It's little things that would make my world a lot less stressful. More awareness of of the social rules. Is it tiring? Yes. Yeah. I have to um, hold back. Um, I get very angry with things. Um, and I have to refrain from, you know... Uh, It's sometimes it's just, will you get out of my way? I want to look at that. You're in my way. Move.
3: To go back to my original question, when does a character trait like my rather strong need for lists and things being done a certain way tip over into a condition or a disorder?
0: We never call AS ASD. It's not a disorder in the house. It's not. a a series of problems it's a series of joys it's a series of different ways of doing things it's a series of of look I can do things differently that you can't do.
3: One of the features of autism that this family helped me to appreciate is meticulousness an attention to detail and a capacity to stick with something. We
0: make a lot of costume for our enactments and I have never ever seen hand sewing as good anywhere near as Isabella does and she will sit for three four hours getting a seam right and it's a joy to behold as someone for whom craftsmanship is important that is just so fantastic The other is the enthusiasm over tiny little things. We'd we'd have a good meal and there was something that was just right and she'd just explode into this happiness.
3: Edward thinks that people with autism may have made a significant contribution to our collective development.
0: There are some um, stone tools that have been made that have the smack of somebody who's made them with an attention to detail that goes beyond their functionality and have made an incredibly beautiful, beautiful artefact. Spearheads, arrowheads, Clovis points especially. The, the standard of work and the care that's gone in, to me, speaks of someone who is prepared to devote days and days in producing something that is perfect.
3: You said, thank heavens there's no cure. Can you tell me what your feelings are about that, about, about a cure?
0: I'm different. I have interests that that are strange. I, I've always done things which other people have thought very weird, like going off on my own on a motorbike for for two weeks with, without anybody else. Um, solo diving, which is very much frowned upon, but I used to love. And I can accept that other people have different ways of doing things. And I grew up in a very tight community in the Midlands. Very soon realized it was a huge world out there where people had different interests, liked different music, worshipped different gods, wore different clothes and... These people were actually enhancing our experience of the world. Neurodiversity is something that I feel passionate about in my work in, in education. People's talents and people's proclivities and people's enthusiasms have got to be recognised. Otherwise, what kind of a society are we? I don't want monoculture. I don't want mononeural, like, whatever it is. I don't even if there's a word for it. And I think it would would actually be the ruin of our society.
3: He also feels there are certain common characteristics amongst children with ASD. Uh,
0: The fact that a lot, sorry, this sounds awful, a lot of the children that I have taught with autism have got a fascination with Thomas the Tank Engine. Very, very simple, emotional fixed expressions that are so easy to read going on lines so that there's no change there is no room for, for manoeuvre it's either like you're either on the rails or you're not you're on time or you're not
3: I'm fairly sure Harry would disagree a lot of people believe that you have things like Thomas the Tank Engine everyone's interested in that and Everyone's not. What really comes across from this family is a true love of diversity. That phrase, neurodiversity, I love it. We experience life differently. It's not to deny that ASD can be massively challenging. But in this family, despite Isabella's love of order, they've somehow managed to adapt and to thrive. Harry's into podcasting too. We spoke about his aims for the future. They were pretty straightforward a good job. But there was also a reminder in his answer of the toll taken by other people's response to autism. I'm getting there, but I hope that I'll learn how to be able to be entirely sociable acceptable. Because uh, I don't really see Asperger's as a bad thing, but as some people might, might I'm just hoping that it doesn't really hold me back. We, we are, like, different, yeah, but essentially get used to it. I started this programme wondering whether I shared a few too many of the autistic characteristics. But actually, I've come away with a far more meaningful realisation, and one that has nothing to do with me. We're made of the same stuff, but the ratios are different. We perceive the world differently. That can cause problems, absolutely. But it can also contribute something amazing, that attention to detail that different way of seeing the world so if you could choose whether to keep it or be without it what would you do but it's me it's who I am Um, I don't consider
1: that I have got a condition that you can remove it's part of who I am Um, if you stick me in a room by myself I haven't got it because all my problems and issues are to do with other people
2: Thank you to Isabella, Edward and Harry for talking to us. What do you think? Is this something you have any experience of? This week we'll be trying something new. Given that Susie and I spend hours talking about programmes long after they've gone out, we thought we'd open that conversation up to you. If you've got any questions from this programme or even from an earlier programme, then let us know through the usual channels and look out for the discussion programme in your podcast feed. The first one is this Friday, 10th of November, the Backstory Backchat. Next time, we'll hear from Hina, a successful lawyer. If you're single or looking for a partner at the moment, you'll particularly want to listen to this one. In a world where dating choices are seemingly endless, Hina decided to take a very different approach. Catch that on the 21st of November. Don't forget to listen to previous episodes if you haven't already. We are The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at The Backstory Pod on Twitter. We're currently working hard on season two so now's a good time to let us know what you like and what you don't like about the backstory. Be honest we want to know what you think but maybe not brutally honest we're still finding our feet. Thank you so much for listening see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor James from 16 Degrees Coaching. Don't let your backstory define your future email him James at one six dot co dot uk.